Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Berak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Boris Lockshaw. Welcome, Boris. Nice to have you. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. In this podcast, we talk to great founders and we ask them the same set of questions in the domains that we believe matter tremendously for building a successful company. And these are tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Boris, who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? Yeah, I'm Boris, uh, 36 years old. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Spryker. Uh, Spryker is a digital commerce platform for um, enterprise digital commerce. Uh, we call it sophisticated transactional business models. So everything which is more sophisticated than selling t-shirts online, uh, we are the platform behind it. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your target group? I understand it's clearly it's it's fully B2B business um, and your 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 target targeted companies are can you give a few examples? Yeah, so typically we would sell to what is called enterprises to companies with a you know billion and above in revenues, uh, companies like Siemens, uh, Rico, uh, Aldi, Toyota and the like. Okay, that's important for calibrating the answers uh, towards exactly the specific target group later on. People. If you would start a company today, what would be your first five hires? Um, I think product, uh, engineering, um, definitely someone on the uh, content marketing side, and then maybe uh, a back office person. Mm -hmm. And would you would you rather go for for senior junior persons? Would you start with C levels or or just have a bunch of young folks who to, to get started? I would start start with rather senior or rather you know experienced people. Um, I'm not a big fan of starting with C level people right away because this will change over time. The requirements will change. It's very hard for founders to know upfront what they uh, uh, what and who they will need. So I would start with senior people, but not with C level. people. Were these your first five hires when you started with Spryker? Mm, I think we were very uh, product engineering heavy. Uh, so I think the appreciation for content marketing and you know some back office support functions uh, came later. So, uh, uh, so this is what I would maybe do a little bit differently. Uh -huh. What are the hardest hires of today? I think this changed a little bit over time. I think for a long time, uh, the hardest were uh, engineers um, and product managers um, and maybe BI people to hire. I think what we see, especially in the enterprise space, is that account executives, so more on the sales side, uh, is, is becoming a challenge uh, more and more, especially in this remote, first work from anywhere environment. Uh, so as we grow, this is definitely the biggest challenge at the moment. Yeah, we're getting back to the... the, the problem of hiring tech-savvy salespeople a little bit later. Um, how do you measure employee satisfaction? Uh, it's, a, it's a combination. Uh, I think through surveys, through, through regular surveys, through what we call pulse checks, uh, through regular asking people about you know, their opinion about specific topics. So not just you know, how do you feel, but you know, uh, how do you feel about you know, the company strategy, vision, how do you feel about certain initiatives that we have. Um, but also like indirectly through, through for example, uh, reviews that we would you know, see and check on platforms like Glassdoor and, and others. 
and of course um, also like uh, the the ratio of recommendation that we have uh, so there is a clear uh, correlation between people being happy and uh, you know the recommendation KPIs that we see in our talent acquisition teams uh, so you can almost directly see you know the the impact of you know satisfied or not satisfied people and this KPI is going up and down and if you put all of this together you get quite a good 360 feeling for satisfaction of people do you use any tool to measure that um, different tools so so we, we are definitely using uh, leap sum at the moment as in uh, within our, um, our people and culture team uh, and you know the rest we are, are using uh, our own tools for that how do you measure employee performance so this is interesting because we have a very um, outcome not output oriented uh, culture so this is very different so we are not measuring uh, performance in a way that you know we would track the number of sales calls the call the 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 code that you're writing uh, the number of you know leads that you're generating but rather the the actual outcome which is more important for us uh it, it is still embedded in an okr like framework so it is very adjusted to us so so there are some elements of, of okrs that we marry with some old, old management methodologies that we created uh, and, and those would give us quite a good feeling about, you know, whether the outcomes that we set uh, and that we expect are achieved or not. What's your take on organizational structure? What's what's the shape of a, of a good org chart, in your opinion? I think this changes uh, over time. I think in the beginning, um, I would I would be a, a big um, believer and fan of speed and and even to the expense of redundancy, right? So so you could have like m multiple designers sitting in different teams or multiple uh, you know cross-functional roles sitting in multiple teams. Uh, uh, you know some would argue, hey, why don't we you know, put this all together in one team? Uh, but this makes teams more independent and faster. Um, so as, as the org grows, obviously, you know, it becomes a little bit more important that there is clear accountability defined in the teams and that, you know, they can execute and then you kind of uh, make sure that, you know, uh, silos are broken down. Um, so, so, you know, I think this changes over time a lot. What's your approach to culture? Uh, so culture nowadays, you know, I, I think we could have a full podcast on this. I think you know, culture is super important. Um, it's becoming even more important in, in, in this remote first uh, world uh, as people nowadays basically expect much more from the company than just the place where they work and where they're getting the paycheck. Uh, so they, they expect the company to be your best friend, to comply with your own set of um uh, values. Uh, they expect the company to be the place where you know you spend the most time, where you do sports, where you meet, uh, where you hang around, uh, where you know the, they expect the company to position you know itself uh, um, for more than just you know business topics. You know to, to have a clear opinion on you know geopolitical uh, events you know happening on uh, on other events uh, happening. So I think uh, culture is super important. Uh, it is what's gluing people together, especially when you have people scattered all over the world. We have now people in 45 countries. S some countries are just having one or two people, right? Uh, so, you know, if you can't, if you don't have a strong culture, it will be very hard to retain people. And culture is nowadays very much the thing that which is attracting or, 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 or you know, letting people uh, go away. Uh, if you don't do it right, because, you know, they can basically work everywhere and, you know, salaries are very competitive. Um, so uh, I think it's 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 key. Uh, it's becoming key or it has become key. 
Remote first or office first? Uh, remote first. Tech. Product or development? Who of the two is in the lead? Uh, it's hard to say because there isn't, uh, I mean, typically it, both would be different in terms of uh, saying, right? I mean, product defines what we are doing, right? So product's job is to kind of be the keeper of the product vision, right? Or translate uh, translate the, the business vision, the company vision into a product vision to deal with stakeholders, to digest all the inputs from partners, customers, analysts, investors, own teams, strategy, etc., and distill it into a, you know, uh, into a what we do uh, roadmap, while engineering is very much the how we do it. Uh, so, so it's it's not in the lead. Uh, it, it's you know both have their distinctive kind of goals and priorities. Um, so, and, and have to work together eventually to deliver a product. There's a product can't deliver anything without engineering. Engineering engineering can't just develop anything without product. So, so who decides what to develop next? That's then product, right? Yes, so the what would be defined by product. And how does the decision process look like? So you would typically have a steering and a governance. As I said, there's, there are multiple input parameters, multiple you know, sources of, of uh, you know, uh, feature wishes from you know, internal sources like you know, the team, you know, sales and partner strategy to external uh, sources like customers, partners and the like. Right? And, and product would have to process all of it and then measure it against some kind of You know, framework they would define. You know, so so what is important? What has the highest impact? It can be very different. It can be, hey, what 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 has the the biggest revenue opportunity for us? Or hey, what's solving uh, uh, the biggest problems for our customers? Which hopefully eventually then translates into revenue. Or what is setting us apart the most? Right? It might might not lead to revenue right away. It might maybe not necessarily solve a customer problem. So you would typically have, uh, sometimes it's conflicting, right? So yes, we want to do, you know, revenues, but we also want to be differentiative. Uh, and yes, we ideally want to solve, you know, uh, uh, problems for our customers. So in the end, you try to triangulate and find, find kind of the, the, the golden, the golden, uh, uh, you know, uh, balance uh, for all of it. Okay. What's your take on product-led growth? Uh, I think for a product company, it's, this is super. Uh, this is super important because you know, especially as you grow and as you kind of leave the um, uh, the teenager phase, right, where where it's very much you know about product and companies are buying into you know signing long term contracts. Uh, I think this becomes uh, very very important. You know, to have the discipline and the focus on you know delivering uh, the product. You know, having a product focused strategy and 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 approach. Uh, so yeah. Uh, fully, fully support. Which role does design play at Spryker? Um, so design is relevant for us uh, a at the brand at the, at, uh, at the brand level. Uh, so we are very brand heavy, and even though it's an enterprise kind of space, you know, we typically would, would uh, load up um, the you know uh, the brand a lot uh, and, and make sure that you know. Uh, Pretty much like in, in consumer brands, you know, customers love it and recognize it and remember it, and it's fun and enjoyable. Um, I think for product itself, uh, it, it is more on the UI UX side, you know, for how the product is being used. Again, we are talking to enterprise clients, so it's you know more about uh, efficiency, ergonomy, usability, these kind of things, where uh, our you know design teams play a crucial role. Would you ever outsource software development for Spryker? And, and maybe also, would you recommend that to early stage uh, founders? No, I would not recommend it. I think there's a core, 
core competency. I mean, obviously, depending on the product, right? But assuming you're a tech tech company, you know, I think this is the main asset that you're creating. Uh, so I would not outsource it. I think there is nothing bad about as you scale, you know, to find and define ways of of scaling and extending yourselves or bridging gaps, you know, while you're hiring and bringing teams in and maybe working with partners or defining clear APIs, you know, to external you know, partners, agencies uh, to, to develop on top of your platform or to provide tooling, SDKs, so that they can do it in a compliant way. So there's nothing bad about it. But I think the core product you should definitely own. Growth. If we think about the complete funnel, starting with brand, marketing, sales, customer success, do you at Spryker have all these functions? Yes. Is any of them in the lead and how? What, what's the structure among them? Um, no, no uh, I don't think that, 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 that there is a lead. I think it's a, it's a, it's a funnel, right? So, I mean, on, on the marketing side uh, or on the, let's say, lead and demand gen side, you have multiple sources to build up the funnel. You know, uh, brand, marketing, definitely one, right? Uh, then, obviously, you know, partners and, and, you know, also outbound and other activities, and they would then eventually and hopefully convert and lead into sales uh, to take over the opportunities, to convert them, to, you know, turn them into customers and then there is customer success basically post sales to make sure that the customers you know get actually the value out of the product that they have bought right they use it the right way they get the value out of it uh, they are successful they grow ideally uh, opportunity for upsell uh, and cross sale are created customers don't churn you know you can retain them you can renew them etc etc so this is then the job of customer success Now, if they are a funnel, so one, one basically follows the other, um, how can you make sure they don't work in silos and start to blame each other in case the revenue doesn't come in? Yeah, because it's, so it's, it's not, I mean, a funnel, what I meant by funnel is more from, from a timeline perspective in a funnel. Like from a structure, it's more like a flywheel. It's, it's, not, it's not silos, right? It's not a, a sequential kind of events, right? So, for, uh, for example, sales stay, stays involved uh, in active customers as well, right? Marketing, there is marketing to new accounts, but there's also marketing to existing accounts, you know, how to use the product, what did other customers do? What value did they get? Uh, ability to connect, you know, through user groups or customer advisory boards, right? So you can also, this is a very underserved segment of marketing to market to existing customers and not just to, to new customers, right? And then the other way around, if customer success is doing a good job, Marketing has it easy, right? They have customer stories, they have testimonials, they have podcasts, white papers, they have customers on stage at events. Uh, so it's it's more like a flywheel. It's not 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 a funnel. It's um, so, um, and I think this is the way for how to you know make sure that it is it is working, right? So you need to define. Of course, you know uh, they have KPIs. I mean, one trick maybe that you can have is make sure that the goals these teams are measured by are as um, much the same as possible. For example, in our case, you know, we would measure, uh, as I said, outcome, right? Which is uh, which is eventually then uh, you know software subscription uh, fees, right? So so or, or what's called ARR, right? So all teams are measured by ARR, right? So we don't break it down by marketing has a marketing MQL marketing lead goal and customer success is another goal. At the end of the day, you know, everyone is measured by the same goal, and you know, this makes conversation easy. Some people have maybe I'm busy, more busy with retention, some other people are more busy with sales. But if retention is not working, then you have a leaky bucket, then you need to sell more, right? So, and since everyone is measured on the same end goal, you know, so uh, then everyone suffers. 
uh, or everyone wins. So I think this is kind of one of the the the, the, the possibilities to to steer it in the right direction. How important is brand for you? Um, it's super important, as I said. I think it's important for employer branding. It's important for uh, for differentiation, uh, and it's increasingly important also for the interaction that we have with our customers. I mean, we see them, you know, loving our brand, loving our loving our uh, you know brand elements, uh, appreciating, uh, you know, uh, and asking actually for for, for merchandising. Um, which is good, right? It, it is much easier to connect to a tangible, lovable brand, even in enterprise, because at the end, people are, you know, still humans. And if they, you know, step by your booth or, you know, meet you at the conference or see you online in a endless stream of LinkedIn messages, you know, it's easier for them to connect, to engage. Then with a generic Me Too kind of brand and brand message. Yeah, can you say a little bit more about how you approach brand? You do, I know you you really you organize, uh, you actually organize a, a fascinating conference. Uh, you have a lot of brand assets. You invite celebrities. Can you can you uh, tell us a little bit more about that approach? Yeah, I think it's 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 everything you said. I think you know we 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 we. Uh, so first of all, you need to have real love and appreciation, you know, for the brand. We have a brand team, and they they care a lot, and they try to you know from. Uh, we're using a, we're using a, our our logo is a is an uh, Oryx antelope, you know. So we are playing around a lot uh, with uh, uh, with this, you know. We have given the antelope uh, a name, uh, you know. He's called Oscar now. He's kind of the you know um, the personalized, you know, uh, all of us in a way, right? Because he has no gender, he has no religion, he does not speak a language. He stands for all of us and for the diversity. Right, he is he's he is the one welcoming new sprikes to the herd. He is the one welcoming new customers and partners to the herd. Uh, you know, he is he's also the, you know kind of the for every special occasion, special event, special party. There's always a dedicated logo around Oscar, uh, um, and you know people kind of you know internally and externally connect very well with him. Uh, you know, love it uh, a lot. And then yeah, you know, having dedicated event uh, makes a lot of sense over time. Maybe not from the very beginning, but once you get to a crucial to a crucial size and can have, you know, uh, people uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger or, you know, uh, this year we, we will have Michael Phelps and Bob Iger and some other, you know, uh, cool people joining. Uh, it, it's definitely it's definitely important because at the end you, you especially for events, I think what people, um, what has changed is that events are not pure sales events anymore. It's a combination of, you know, education, of excitement, Uh, of sales, right? Of connecting with people, and I think only if you can bring all these three elements together, and people come to a to a to a conference, they learn something, they have entertainment, right? They have some fun, and you know there is some engagement on a you know they learn something about products. I think only then they go back and have a good experience. If they just go there and you know there's a bunch of salespeople uh, trying to talk to them, I think the experience is not 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 good. Uh, and then if you try to, you know, broadcast it, especially in this hybrid events that we have nowadays, it's becoming even more, more important. So I understand. Uh, so at this year's event that you host, uh, Michael Phelps, if I understood that right, is a guest. So if you want to, the, the event is called, I think, Spriker Excite. Excite, so, correct. So if, if you want to see Michael Phelps, the audience, then uh, Spriker Excite is, is the place to go and to meet uh, Boris and, and the others for that uh, really remarkable event. Um, how about marketing, marketing channels? Which ones do you use and why? 
I think we use all of them. Uh, we traditionally would be very strong in, in content and performance and, uh, you know, kind of digital marketing, uh, which is a bit counterintuitive for, for, you know, maybe an enterprise sales company. Uh, so, but, but, you know, this, this is, you know, something which we are very, uh, uh, we are very strong in. Again, events are coming back. You know, we, we always, uh, we always were strong in events and, and, you know, building, uh, you know, very, very inspiring, you know, uh, boosters and, and making sure that people, you know, pay attention because at the end perception is reality. So this is super important, right? Uh, if the perception is, and, per, and perception can win you a lot of time, right? If you're good in perception creation, you know, you might need more time to build, you know, the product, but you can change perception faster than you can change product. So, so this is super important. Um, um, you know, partner marketing and activities with partners, uh, uh, also important. It just gives you the kind of, um, you know, more reach and more leverage and more, uh, eyeballs, uh, you should not underestimate it. Right. So if you can amplify, you know, everything you do through, you know, a network of partners. In our case, we have 150 to 200 partners. You know, so if every one of them just posts one press release per year about Spryker, then you have a press release every second day about Spryker, right? If, if you have a social and tweet and content and podcast request, if everyone has 10 activities defined per year, then, you know, there's like five to six activities happening every day uh, uh, around the world, which is, which is, which is amazing, right? And you, you, could, you could have much more budget spent than your own marketing budget. So I think it's event, it's lead and demand gen, it's content, it's partner marketing, uh, and then brand. How about performance marketing? Is it dead or do you think it's dying anytime soon? No, it's not dying. I think it's working. I think it's redefining. Uh, uh, it's redefining itself. As I said, so we are, would be very strong. You know, a good portion of our demand gen is based on performance marketing. Of course, channels change, channel importance change. You know, techniques and methodologies change. I mean, uh, throughout pandemic, we have seen that obviously everyone, uh, you know, was out of a sudden on LinkedIn and all the offline channels were gone and, you know, uh, the the prices went up and the noise went up. So you had to differentiate and find smarter strategies. But in general, it's not that. I think it's, uh, in fact, for enterprise companies, it's maybe even an underserved yet channel. You do have salespeople. I, uh, that's the next question, but I think that that is that is clear. You answered that already. Um, where do you find good digital savvy salespeople? <laughs> it's hard, as I said. You know, it's maybe the hardest at the moment to find. There are obviously very uh, uh, there are many uh, traditional salespeople out there with the Rolodex. You know, uh, uh, you know, uh, very much. Um, used to you know hang around at events at networkings you know go taking cu customers out for dinners and to bars and uh etc i think you know uh it's just a new kind of discipline that is kind of evolving emerging uh f for salespeople to you know just sit at home in front of their uh of the of the macbook and you know to be able to generate opportunities digitally right to write creative text on LinkedIn and, you know, approach people to, you know, uh, do research, you know, on your target accounts to work closely with your account-based marketeers to, you know, identify the right content strategies, right? It's a very, very different skill. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's uh, if, if I would know wh wh where, where they all sit, right, <laughs> I would go <laughs> and hire all of them. Uh, but this is, I think this is the opportunity also for, maybe younger companies as the change as the sales approach changes there is maybe less value going forward in hiring 
super expensive, super experienced, I don't know, ex uh, Salesforce people, right? Uh, because they might be, they might not necessarily have maybe the the right skills for 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 this modern sales approach. So there is a lot of opportunity to to bring in people who are kind of digital sales, digital lead demand gen native, and and to potentially outperform, uh, you know, uh, some of your competitors. Data. How does data make Spryker successful? So we are very data driven. We have quite a big uh, quite a big BI team. We try to uh, try to make more or less every decision very much data based and and you know. Um, not to uh, you know let any egos or opinions stand in the way. Uh, so and this we did like very early on. I think as you grow, this becomes even more and more important uh, because you know uh, the, the touch and the connect that you would have to people, the the ability to understand who is right, who is wrong, whose assessment is accurate, becomes harder and harder over time. So I think this is why uh, meeting around and easy to understand understand dashboards becomes more important don't over engineer it because again still there is interpretation especially in the early days right your business is is not like uh, on railways where you can just you know predict everything and extrapolate everything so 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 take a good management judgment on the data that you see uh, but at the end still it's still your job to do the interpretation which functional areas at spryker are supported by your bi team um, almost all, I mean, uh, primarily, of course, sales and marketing, uh, obviously, right? Um, but also, uh, we are using this increasingly more for customer success uh, product as well to understand how the product is being used, what value customers are getting from it, etc. So, um, uh, but but you know, uh, I think in general, all departments, but sales, marketing, uh, at first. Does the data team answer specific questions or are they free to explore the data and uh, find opportunities? Uh, both. I think, you know, the, the, there is a clear, def I mean, they, they are free in a way that, you know, once once the initial dashboards and KPIs are defined, you know, to work very closely with the, with the you know, functional business uh, leaders to identify what, what are the right metrics, what is the right way of looking at them, what are the right, you know, timestamps, you know, what's the right correlation. Uh, so, so they, they would do it together. So, not just you know implementing someone's requirements, so that they would explore it together. Uh, uh, and of course, they're also you know playing around. They would you know bring in uh, uh, some you know Easter eggs and findings every once in a while. They 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 find. How do you ensure that the people really do what the data recommend? Again, it's a very it's a very outcome oriented culture, right? So, so the outcome is very very clear. You know, so the data serves as a as a um, you know data point that you get right to, to base your decision upon and then you need to take action right and then uh, in a in the next whatever cycle period is you know the outcome is measured again right and either it has changed or not so it's very very easy which data tools and infrastructure are you using oh that's a good question uh, we would have to check i think with our bi team uh they're changing it over and over again um, Okay, but are they rather developing their own stuff, or do they? It's a combination. I think we're using a couple of tools. I mean, we're using definitely Tableau for the for the dashboards. We're using some standard ETL tool, as far as I remember. But there is also some some own you know scripts and some own developments. How's your data team structured? Which which roles would you find there? Uh, so we have data scientists, we have data engineers, and we have uh, business uh, business uh, analysts. 
And, 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 and again, here, is there one that is basically leading the whole thing or what, what's the, what's the uh, profile of the person leading that team? So we have someone who is leading the team. I mean, it's a, you know, uh, it's a kind of senior data, uh, data scientist, I would, I would say, right. So I think the, the, you know, someone with good, you know, also business, uh, acumen, you know, understanding what, what is going on, because this is the hardest piece, especially when partnering with the business leaders, right. To help them distill out, you know, what's the right way of looking at things. So they can, ex they can describe you the problem, you know, uh, they can describe you the, what is it that they want to learn from the data, but what exactly or which metric exactly would tell you this and how to engineer it, how to structure it, which tools to connect to get it, to get a, you know, accurate uh, representation. This is their job. Where's data, the data team located in your org chart? Uh, what's, who, who's that person that you just, that you just mentioned uh, reporting to? Uh, this person is reporting to our um, director for strategic projects uh, and corporate development. Uh, so he has uh, this team because his team is basically the team which is connecting the dots between the different functional areas, right? So they kind of sit between sales and marketing and customer success, et cetera, right? So kind of the horizontal team. So they would have the, the ability to, you know, connect with all of them. Uh, it doesn't make sense to put it under sales or under marketing. And, and he would report to this, to, to our CFO. So that's, that's where it sits. Okay. GDPR, is it a struggle or an opportunity? Mm, a struggle. Yeah, I think it's it's um, it's making so you know especially now with with uh, um, what we have seen in the last two years, right? I mean, the more digital marketing becomes important, right? The less physical contacts you have, uh, you know, the more it is a struggle because you know you just can't do many very obvious things like you know properly inviting to events, sharing, you know, even like exhibitors of events and conferences have hard time sharing, you know, particip participants lists with you and, you know, things that you, you kind of always did, right. Or inviting people for webinars properly together with partners, for example, if, 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 you know, something is organized by three partners and you try to put it together and share the, the invitation list. So it, it, it's very, it's very painful. Uh, it's, it's, and, I would also go as far as saying also in comparison to some other countries like the US, it's maybe also disadvantages in a way, right? So it's, it's, so I, so the intent is good, right? But I think, you know, the way it is implemented, uh, it's pretty much like, you know, this, this entire, you know, uh, accept cookies thing. Like, you know, you spend the first three, four seconds on every website with, and everyone just clicks on accept. I don't know people who <laughs> really spend time on, you know, setting preferences per website that much. Um, so this is definitely, It's definitely um, it's definitely a struggle, and again, the more digital uh, the the you know sales and marketing becomes, uh, the more the more complicated it gets. Uh, and I think that you know there's definitely room for there's definitely room for improvement. Environmental, social, and governance. Why didn't you instead of Spryker start an ESG company? I think I was more excited about, you know, the, the enterprise uh, digital commerce uh, space. Uh, I think ESG is super important and, you know, happy to see more and more companies in that space, uh, you know, uh, being founded and being funded and be in, and, and growing. But, yeah, you know, I think my, my passion was more on the other side. What does Spryker do internally in order to help our environment? 
Uh, I think a couple of things. I mean, we, we do, uh, so um, as of um, end of last year, we fully became carbon neutral. Uh, uh, so this is, uh, was an important uh, milestone for us, right? Uh, we uh, try to be as paperless as possible, you know, and, and reviewing every process for, you know, not printing, not using paper where not needed, right? We try to, you know, be very... Um, mindful in terms of like what uh what goods we are buying you know uh from from you know bottles to to you know food supplies in the office uh we try to encourage you know our people as well you know to spend time and you know spend social time you know uh, in the communities uh you know for supporting like cleaning up etc uh, so there are a number of different activities which role do social aspects play in the way you run your business um, I think it's super important. I mean, it, it, as I said, right? Uh, I think the 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 nature or the the role of a company, you know, uh, for employees, but also in societies, you know, has changed. There is much more impact, uh, not just by the apples and you know Amazons uh, of of the world, but also by you know maybe smaller companies like us. Uh, you know, uh, so think questions like you know diversity, LGBTQ. Um, you know, uh, positioning to, you know, geopolitical events, uh, you know, the right selection, the right you know, treatment, uh, you know, by diversity, not just gender diversity, but overall diversity. Uh, I think all these kind of things you need now to manage actively, right? You can't just, you know, let it happen or let it go. You need to position yourself, you need to have an opinion, you need to, um, and, and, it's, and again, especially in this uh, distributed environments where, As I said, you know, you would have people in 45 countries and I think we have 42 nationalities. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's increasingly important when people are not... Because context gets lost sometimes, right? And trust and speed, you know, is super important if, in agility if you want to grow fast. Uh, and if you don't have it right and, you know, social aspects and opinions about what is right, what is wrong, you know, can be very damaging very easily. Which governance criteria do you follow? It's a good question. Uh, I think we would have to ask our CFO about it. <laughs> okay. Um, does focus on ESG help startups to get funding, or do you believe that investors rather see it as a deflection from revenue? So, you know, nowadays, I think uh, in every conversation I would have with investors, there is always a question about ESG, you know, so I'm not yet sure whether this is just to tick a box, right, because their LPs ask them about their ESG activities, right, or whether they are very, like, serious about it. So, you know, I don't have a, you know, feeling yet. I think it's, it's, it's important in the end. I think if you can balance it out, right, I think the, it's, it's, it's like with, with everything, if it, if it, If it is extreme, then it doesn't work, right? I think if you can balance it out, if you can be carbon neutral and you know save paper and have a good impact on your uh, you know community and environment and you know uh, uh, do social right, uh, you know this will ultimately also translate in in relevant business metrics, right? From from margins to uh, potentially um, to potentially you know happy employees retention, better culture, uh, better you know people that you can attract. Um, so, so you know, ultimately, I think there, there will be there will be positive business impact, right? And you know, even if not measured in in you know commercial or business KPIs, I think having and adhering to core values is much more important nowadays than before. I think every 
especially this generation Ys and Zs, you know, joining, they have very, very strong feelings and ask about having core values and they would often even decide based on that. So is this business sharing the core values, the core beliefs, the same, you know, traits that I have? Yes or no. I can get the same paycheck everywhere, right? So if this company, you know, has certain positioning about, you know, approach to environment or to approach to, to social, which I share, wonderful, right? And if not, then, uh, and people are leaving because of this nowadays, right? People are uh, quitting. Uh, and I think this, again, then translates into business impact. Do you have an ESG officer or something similar at Spryker? Uh, no, not yet. If you would have such a role, uh, where would you put it into your org chart? Uh, I think under our CFO. Last three questions. Which is the one podcast that all founders should listen to? Mm, I think for the German-speaking ones, I think the, the Digital Compact one is a good good uh, uh, podcast run by Joel. Um, it's a good mix and variety of topics, uh, you know, from business to you know sales to uh, methodologies. I think it's a quite quite you know good uh, bunch of things for everyone. Uh, I think if if you want to do it a bit more a bit broader, I think the the online marketing rockstar podcast also nice. You know, uh, you know, especially nowadays, there, there would be good guests. You know, good three sixty kind of perspective on society, digital marketing approach. Uh, so very helpful, and then of course it depends on your you know interest and topics. And you know, there are very good sales podcasts and you know people and culture podcasts. Uh, so uh, dive deep into what you really uh, really love. What are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders? Oh, advice. Um, I think in the, I think in the beginning you should be very uh, you know you have um, you should have a, a natural uh, intellectual um, curiosity applied to everything because you know you will learn a lot in the first one or two years. Uh, things will change. Uh, you know, you know you might have built your business on certain business or product assumptions that some will be true, some will be less true so you know try to be flexible try to listen try to be curious try to kind of process every feedback whatever this is from customers from partners and you know not follow every feedback right uh, there will also there will be much more negative and wrong feedback that you will get than right and good ones but uh try to kind of have a natural kind of you know healthy curiosity you know uh and and approach you know people without ego um i think this will help a lot uh the second one would definitely be um, that you know, time is very important. You know, I'm always saying that time is the most important KPI, more important than you know revenues or EBITDAs. Uh, you should be managing time basically, right? Because very rarely uh, things would be so there's there is no incentive to wait basically, right? Nothing will be easier for you or cheaper tomorrow than it is today, right? Google and Facebook won't ask you for less money. Right, uh, your top hires would not ask you for less salary. Your potential acquisitions target will not be cheaper to acquire. Right, uh, your competitors won't have uh, you know a shittier products. So there is very there is very less incentive to really wait. So rather you know try to optimize time and execute and get you know things done and uh, and and you know um, try them out. I think this is super. Uh, this is super important. Last one. Who are the two other founders I should ask this set of questions and you will make an introduction for me? 
um, I think if you want to talk to maybe more international people, I think uh, Fred from Akineo from from you know his enterprise PIM pro product uh, could be interesting. Uh, you know, to get more of a you know global scale perspective, maybe out of France. Uh, I think he would be interesting. Um, um, maybe Thomas from DataGuard is also an interesting one. Uh, who you know, it's interesting space that they're creating uh who you know could also be uh could also be interesting okay well Boaz, thank you very much thanks for sharing your 42 answers with with all of us uh with with the founders of tomorrow i hope that they take quite some good advice certainly uh, you're certainly running a very successful company so there's a lot to learn here and uh, especially uh based on your answer to number 41 which is time is so essential thank you for uh, having given us so much of your time um i hope it was um, awesome for all of the audience as it was for me um, i'm looking forward to the introductions and stay tuned hope for all of you to listen in next time again bye bye thank you Hello, podcast listeners. We have some exciting news for you. Our Project A Knowledge Conference is back and happening on October 7th at Kultur Brauerei in Berlin. If you want to get to the heart of the European startup ecosystem and connect with founders, leading investors, and digital experts, join us for a whole day of knowledge sharing and networking, where experts from every area of digital operations will share their insights and best practices. This year, we're bringing you an amazing speaker lineup, including Christian Hacker, co-founder and CEO at Trade Republic, Lubomila Jordanova, co-founder and CEO at Plan A, and Philip Glockler and Philip Klockner, co-hosts of the Doppelganger Tech Talk podcast. Apply for a free ticket now or purchase one directly from our website, knowledge-conference.project-a.com. 